0: last edition of d and c in twenty three kind of the last standard edition of d and c in twenty three. with all of WP, welcome, Alex. You're back from your your West coast adventure
1: back from the dead. yes. I'm back. Happy to be talking about these last two shows with you, uh, albeit a, a bittersweet moment,
0: yeah. very sweet on my end. I think being able to. Watch most of the final show, as we will discuss in a minute. I think that helped get some closure and 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 see Dead and Company's final tour off with a with a good note. Um, well,
1: I, I think that that's right. Let me just chime in on that while you, while you said it because now's as good a time as any. I definitely think that um, I agree with you about that aspect of it, and I heard. Someone saying this at the show on Saturday, and they're exactly right. They're talking about how there was no closure in 1995. It was like the band sounded terrible for their last tour. We were all still going, but it was not very fun. Jerry looked awful on stage. We were all sad about it in the moment. And then, you know, even with that in mind, you still don't expect someone that young to die. And then he dies, and it's the end. And there's no more tour dates announced, and they're not going to keep right. going. And it's like something was ripped away from you and that's true for the fans and the band whereas this time because we've known for almost a year now that this was going to be the end it gave everyone a bit more time to kind of come to terms with what was happening and that this would be the end of this chapter and i do think that that level of closure is both right now and when we look back on this it's going to be something that we're all glad for so i although it is still bittersweet don't get me wrong i do think that I'm glad that they announced this as the final tour and that we knew all along that that's what we were, we were getting ourselves into.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really excellent point. And then uh, just to leave the door cracked a, a, a hair, I think it was Mickey who said it's the last tour, not the last show. So I'm sure that there will be some other iteration coming at some point in our lives, but that's a really good perspective that the ability to say goodbye wasn't there. In 95, but the ability to say goodbye here in San Francisco, we're going to do this. We're going to package both of them into this episode. As I talked about at the end of the last recording, it wouldn't be right to have me break down night two when you were there. You were physically present in the barn, some would say. (laughs) And you, you didn't bring your recording with you out to San Fran. So it, it wouldn't be right to have me talk about the show that you were at and then try to address it later. So that's why we're packaging them, packaging them together right now. So let's get into it. It's night two at Oracle park. We talked about Oracle park and kind of where they've been before in the episode breaking down night one. So I encourage you to go check that out if you haven't yet, but Talk to me. You were the boots on the ground. So talk to me about (laughs) Shakedown and Oracle Park and the Bay and and McCovey Cove and all that stuff.
1: It actually starts much earlier than that. My my boots on the ground report. Um, My wife and I got out to the Bay on Tuesday night of last week. um, So we were there quite early. And then we went out on Wednesday. We did some touristy stuff, saw the Golden Gate Bridge and Fisherman's Wharf and all that good stuff. Got our fresh San Francisco sourdough bread, and then we how was that? Tremendously good, so so good. So then we um, boogied out toward Yosemite, and we spent um, Wednesday night, all day Thursday, and and all day Friday at Yosemite, which was amazing if you've never been i could not recommend it more highly as someone who grew up on the border between connecticut and rhode island spent a lot of my childhood in rhode island learning that yosemite is the size of rhode island like almost to the exact square kilometer was pretty mind-blowing <laughs> um so yeah. that was it's just one of the most impressive places you can go um, in this country it's so breathtaking so much good hiking that can be done and um yeah, it's just beautiful. So that was really, really cool. Then we get back into the Bay and um, I mean, just the amount of tie-dye and Grateful Dead t-shirts all over the city was just crazy. You know, it's a San Francisco is obviously a massive city. And so to see so much headiness everywhere (laughs) was really crazy. On Saturday morning, Jane and I met up with our friend, Zach Cropper from Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper, and we got breakfast together. And we were all kind of talking about how like literally, for every five people who walked into the restaurant we were in, one and a half were wearing a dead shirt or some sort of a tie dye. <laughs> it seemed like the entire city was ready for these concerts, and that was obviously after night one it happened. So, um, then Saturday we got to Shakedown, uh, rel- on the relatively earlier side, I would say. It was just crazy that the way that they had it set up, Shakedown was back behind Oracle Park in this pier. Like they had like a massive. Basically, warehouse that they had just set up with all these tents. I saw our friend about half past dead there. Hey, nice. Yep, he had to me one of the quotes of the weekend. He was talking about Friday, and I actually. So you said uh, that while they were playing um, "Knocking on Heaven's Door," they had like a picture of Jerry on the screen. It was actually a slideshow of pictures of everyone who who had gone. So it was oh. like first it was a picture of Pigpen, then of Keith Godshow. Then Brent Midland and Bill Graham. And they might have done one of Sam Cutler because he had just died like the night before. And then the last one was Jerry. And um Mike was like just not a dry eye in the house. Everyone was super sad. And I don't know, they might do that every night. And it kind of made me realize we're setting ourselves up for ultimately something that's going to be really sad. But you know, here we are. We're doing it anyway. And I was just <laughs> I thought that was great. I mean, largely true, especially given what happened on how they ended night three, very emotional, but, um, night two concert wise, uh, it was fine getting into the stadium. Everything went really pretty smoothly. We had really good seats, um, on the second level, which was, uh, your technique of like getting up and above, although Oracle field did it right. They took down all of the foul nets. So, ah, good for them. Very smart. I'm glad that they did that, but we had a really nice view from kind of above and also the club level, like bathrooms and stuff were so nice. So it was, that was also like kind of a, a pleasant little twist of being up on that level versus down the first level with, you know, just more people. Cause that's a bigger level of the bowl. Um, so anyways, great time getting in and everything like that. And, um, The crowd, everyone around us was just in really good spirits. The people behind us had been to both of them, husband and wife, had been to more than 100 dead shows while Jerry was alive. Yep. And now they've been to so many of the dead and company shows. The guy in front of me was saying, telling me that he'd been to 13 dead and company shows this tour. Wow. Yeah. And you and I are going to, later today, we're going to record like kind of a, you know, first blush reaction to the whole tour at large. But he kind of confirmed something that I've been thinking. And, um, about like the best show of the tour. So tune into our next episode. If you want to hear my opinion about that teaser there. Yeah. But, um, anyway, everyone was in a really good mood, uh, and just excited about what was going to come. There were a ton of rumors spreading around shakedown around the walk into the stadium, sitting in the, in the barn about, are they going to bring out Carlos Santana? Are they going to bring out Donna? Is Phil Lesh going to come out to play a bass solo? Is Billy going to be there for drums? Is Bob Dylan going to be there? Rumors were flying rapidly. To me, the one that made the most sense was Santana. Frankly, in my mind, I couldn't see... Phil has never been a part of this band. He's never had an appearance with them. I didn't see that happening. Bill left the band earlier this year. I didn't see him coming out for anything. (laughs) Um, And Donna Jean, maybe. But Bob Dylan had finished his tour on Sunday of last week in Rome, and it was just hard for me to imagine that he would be going back from Rome to San Francisco because I don't think he like lives there or anything like that. So, okay. in in my mind, I was thinking like if there's going to be someone, maybe it would be Santana. And then, when your mind is thinking that that's a possibility, everything that's happening during the night begins to be kind of framed through that lens. Like set one was not super long. And then set two, they got into drums in space early. And I was like, they're saving time so that they can bring out Santana at the end and have like a whole set with him. So yeah, I kind of wish that those rumors hadn't been out there because it definitely did make me think about whether or not that was going to be happening. And, um, you know, and then obviously it didn't either night, it was just dead and Co. which is how it should be. You know, their last show should be just them. Right. So anyways, um, with all that being said, it was a great night of music on the 15th of July. Uh, set one was Let the Good Times Roll, then Hell in a Bucket, It Hurts Me Too, Jack Straw, Big Railroad Blues, and then Cassidy into a hot 1973 arrangement of They Love Each Other into Turn On Your Love Light. So if I remember correctly, this was, I'm not looking at the times, but it was like 7-12 that they came on stage, and then it was about 8 15 maybe 8 20 that they came off stage and so they packed eight songs into that hour ish hour plus set one usually they've been doing seven in the first set so i texted you after lovelight i thought that it was improv like i didn't think that they had that on the set list because wow the turn into it was very abrupt and it it was like bob kind of forced them there And then O'Teal and mayor adjusted, but looking at the set list it's on there. So maybe I I'm probably wrong about that, but in the moment it really felt like that was kind of a, you know, we're going to end it with, they love each other. And then surprise Bob's into love light. Overall. I thought it was a great set of music. Good times roll, obviously a great way to open the show. Jeff gets a huge pop when he starts singing. Everyone loved that. Um, Hell in a Bucket was really good. I thought some great, like absolute shredder shit from Mayer on that one, but then hurts me too. I think may have been the highlight of set one for me. Awesome. Awesome. Bluesy sound. Kementi had a great solo on the organ. Mayer had like two really great solos. It was just pretty amazing. And then, um, spirited jack straw by the end they were just absolutely cooking like as they started picking up the tempo more and more toward the end um and it was just i thought excellent and then cassidy um once i update daddyversion.com and get all of this tour on there which will be happening soon probably by the end of the week that i would estimate will become the top cassidy that's ever been played um whoa okay it was why is that Number one, it was massive. They played for so long. Like, I don't know if that tape is out yet, but I would estimate at least 15 minutes long. And they completely deconstructed it and then built it back together. The jam in the middle was so type two and wild. And they just went way out into into the nether realm and then brought it all back together in a really satisfying way. So I think that it was just like a really great kind of spacey psychedelic Cassidy and just much longer than they than Cassidy usually is. So I think for a lot of people, that would probably be the highlight of set one. And then they love each other. The last version that they played, the final note that they end on is the 73 faster arrangement that they've been playing a lot throughout the summer. So that was also really good. And the love light was was pretty good too. Um, The kind of rap part at the end, Bob seemed to be having a really fun time with. And the other guys were eating it up too, loving their background vocals. One thing that was kind of strange about this experience was just every time they played a song, knowing it was going to be the last time played. So it's like they have maybe this added pressure of like, this is kind of the last statement that we get to make with this song. I didn't feel like that pressure like impacted them that they were playing anything particularly differently, but I don't know. It was funny. I was thinking about that during the show and especially when set to begin with deal, a song that we both love a song that I think I've been to eight dead and company shows and I think they've played it at like six of them. Like I just
0: seem to bring it out of them for some reason. It's a good percentage for, because you love that song. I yeah. mean, you also have that with looks like rain, which is not your favorite, but yeah, that's true. You're batting like 500 for that. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think I was batting a thousand before this summer. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's strange. Like, um, you know, obviously, deal is the theme song to our podcast. Like, we right. chose that for a reason, as like the intro song. So I'm, I'm really glad that I got to be there for the final deal. I thought that was really cool, and the final playing in the band and the final the other one. Yeah. like the the <laughs> list goes on. The second set was it opened with deal, then playing in the band into the other one, into terrapin drums space Uncle John's band play and reprise the other one reprise into morning Dew and then a ripple encore. I mean it was a ama- the second set was amazing so so good just like a murderer's row of songs number one number two how well they played all of them it's just excellent. the deal was great. they got off to a good start playing tremendously good and at the end it sounded like they were teasing uncle john's band and i was like okay so we're gonna get a plane into uncle john's i leaned over to jane and was like sounds like they're gonna go into uncle john's band this is what they did when we were at city field last year and she was like oh yeah that's right and then they turn it into the other one it was maybe like literally like three seconds of uncle john's like not very much at all and it wasn't even the whole band i think it was mainly O'Teal and potentially a little bit of bob but then they go into the other one and uh got very, very psychedelic at the beginning. And then the transition into Terrapin was just like excellent. Mayer was the one who kind of was, sold the show during the transition. It sounded amazing. He hit that opening lick of Terrapin just like right on point. And it was awesome. That Terrapin was far and away to me the highlight of the show. It Oh, okay. Like... To say it stole my face is an understatement. It stole my soul. <laughs> it was goddamn leavable. So so good, and I think that's the only the second time I've seen that song. We saw it in Atlanta, right? And, and then this time, and that song in person is so dramatic.
0: Like yes, it just it's really, a saga.
1: It is, and the way that they play it, and Mayor doing some like real kind of you know, hammers on his guitar and some little bit of Pete Townsend windmill action, like really emphasizes a lot of the most dramatic points of the song, but it was just so well sung and so well played. And I mean, I was just absolutely blown away by it. And then drums in space was awesome. Typically great. Uh, the theme was the Redwoods and having just come from the Redwoods, like, um, very cool. The day before Jane and I spent at the Mariposa, um, sequoia grove and just walking around these massive ancient trees uh which is really humbling and then seeing them on the screen too and with the sound that they were doing it was excellent um jane made the bold move of during terrapin she took a bathroom break because she wanted to be there for drums and space she was like we're getting close and left but they did a good job like uh like at city field they had monitors all inside like the club level at least where they were showing the showing the like nug stream and playing the music so you could hear everything. So yeah, then, then they kind of unfold what they had started before after drums in space, they go into, Oh, they tease blues for Allah during space. Yes. It
0: says that on the official dead and company Instagram too.
1: Okay. Nice. I'm that's exciting that they put that. I texted Zach because he mentioned on our RFK thing that they were kind of doing like a proto blues for Allah during that show. Right. Yeah. And so I texted him. I was like, I swear to God, they just teased Blues for Allah. And either they've been listening to that box set or they heard our podcast. Like, It's got to be one or the other. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, so they did that. That was really cool during space. And then they take us into Uncle Johnny, a little bit of Uncle John's band. Then they unfold the plan. They finish that loop. And then a super hardcore psychedelic finishing segment of the other one. Um, which then ended on a really definitive transition into Morning Dew, um, another one that Mayor just kind of—it was like fireworks—the way that he led us into into the Dew. Excellent, excellent, excellent Morning Dew. Mayor soloing was out of this world. I know that they didn't have like another song planned to close set two because on the setlist they don't. But even if they had much like in Atlanta, when they closed with morning Dew, there was nowhere to go from there. It was too high a point, too emotional, and you you got to end it. You got to leave the stage. So um, it was still early, though. It was like 1038, I think, when I looked at my watch. And so I was like, okay, well, there's still 20 minutes. I bet we're going to get a double encore, either beginning with one more Saturday night or ending with one more Saturday night. And we didn't get it. Ripple, yeah it was a gorgeous ripple. I've never heard that song live, but it's one of my favorite dead songs. I was really happy to hear that. And, um, mayor, I have no fucking idea how he did this, but he played the bottom strings of his guitar in a way that really sounded like a mandolin in like, I don't know. You got to go listen to it. And then he nailed the, like, um, the, like, I don't even know what to call it, but like the little line that comes after that, like very strummy mandolin. Absolutely crushed it. I don't know how this guy's obviously a guitar wizard, so he can kind of do whatever he wants, but that was crazy. And then it was 1048 when that ended and Bob like looked over to the side as he saw uh, mayor taking off his guitar. I swear Bob wanted to go into one more Saturday night. They didn't have the right equipment because mayor was playing an acoustic guitar and was playing an acoustic bass. But I don't know. There are still 12 minutes left before the curfew. And he was looking around like, are we going to keep going? We're going to do one more. And there was no more to your point. When you texted us yesterday, there were truly no more Saturday nights.
0: Yeah. Um, And I, I think it surprised, well, I know it surprised a lot of participants and estimated profit. A lot of people did what you did and predicted that song and to not, that was the first moment for me someone who's couch touring that weekend and, and not there that was the first moment for me where it hit me like this is the end like there there are no more saturday nights there was yeah. not an opportunity for bob to scream and belt it out again like this is and i'm doing this this is going on sunday morning like i wake up the first thing i do is pull up instagram to see like how did they finish that too what they do and uh you know i was like whoa no more saturday night oh man like this is this really is the last day of dead and company shows. Like that's what I was, that was, was going through my head Sunday morning.
1: Yeah. And mine Saturday night, uh, very bittersweet. I was really totally expecting one more Saturday night, a bunch of times during the show. I was like, maybe they'll end set one with one more Saturday night. Maybe they'll close set two, And then morning dew starts winding down. And I'm like, they can't do another song. Like they got to get off. <laughs> they got to get out of here after that. Um, but then, Ripple too. I would have thought that if they were going to do it, they would have started with one more Saturday night and then closed with Ripple. Give us a more mellow note to leave on. But in any case, uh, far be it for me to question the set list because it was amazing. Ripple was such a perfect tender note to end on and it sent us out just kind of like all of us floating. Um, So excellent, excellent show. Energy was on point. It was so cool to see Dead & Co. in the city where the Grateful Dead started. And it was also cool just like driving around as someone who'd never been to San Francisco before. Like everywhere you go, there are little reminders of the dead. And not just in the hate. When Jane and I went to Hate Ashbury on Saturday, it was mobbed. There was a line literally from the corner of Hate and Ashbury up to 710 Ashbury, the Grateful Dead house, of people just waiting in line to take pictures in front of the house. Wow. Um, it was crazy. And then, like, in like on hate street, there's just all these little heady stores. All of them have signs about the grateful dead. There's like the, what, I can't remember what the name of the store was. It's like the tie dye emporium or something like that. <clears throat> um, that place had a massive line of people looking to get in and shop around. So, uh, the heads were out in full force. There's no doubt about that. Um, and then same walking around golden gate park later on that afternoon. It was also just like tie dye everywhere you looked. And, um, yeah, it was it was just really cool but also like driving around and seeing uh we went into Berkeley and went to the Rose Garden on our way out to Yosemite and we accidentally drove past the Greek Theater and we Oh, cool. kept seeing signs for Walnut Creek, which is not far from there and um Kezar Stadium and Fillmore Street where the Fillmore West was. I mean, just everywhere you go in San Francisco there's like something that has some dead history to it. Uh, obviously then there's also a ton more. San Francisco has so much interesting stuff in its own right, but that was really cool. So it was, it was fun to like, for my last show to be in that city of all places. I'm really glad that, that, uh, that I got to go.
0: Yeah. You guys were, you guys did it right. Like that's the way to, to see it and see it out.
1: As I tee you up, Dave, to talk about night three, I have not heard anything from this show yet. I was number one, just jet lagged and basically wrecked by the time I got home. We probably got four hours of sleep by the time we had to get up and get our rental car back and get to the airport and all that stuff. And then um I didn't sleep on the flight. I've never really been able to do that. So I dude,
0: it's a I I can't sleep in a car, but you put me on a plane, I'm out. And it it makes traveling so much easier.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. So for me, I was just absolutely cashed. I was asleep by like eight o'clock Eastern time last night. So I haven't heard any of this. And then I was debating waking up this morning and listening to it so that I could be a more educated voice on this show. But I just didn't want to, when I woke up, I think that I really want to let the experience of Saturday night's show breathe for a little while. I want to kind of let that continue to marinate for me. And then I think that when I do get to listen to last night's show, the last dead and company show, I want to do it in the right set and setting. I want to be able to turn on the video stream and watch the whole thing and, you know, be engaged with it for the whole time period. I don't want to just like listen to it in the background while I'm doing other stuff. I want to kind of give it its full due as you did last night. So you are going to be our boots from the couch for the last boots show. Yeah. Is July. there any,
0: any denial? Like, is that factoring it at all? Like, hey, hey, if I don't listen to the last show, maybe it's not over in, in your <laughs> Sphere is that fact. I don't know.
1: It's a great theory that you that you pose. Um, I can't say for sure.
0: It's definitely something that I catch myself doing with like TV shows that I like, especially on streaming services. Like, I tend to not watch the last two or three episodes. Uh, In particular, I'm thinking of Psych, which was one of my favorite TV shows growing up, and I purposely didn't watch like the last couple episodes when it came out on TV because I was like, "Ah, if I don't watch the finale maybe psych can live on forever. So I'm just, I'm posing that as a, a deep psychological profile of you. Are you in some and, and sort of And projecting a bit. <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'm in any sort of a denial. I mean, I said this in, when I posted some stuff on our socials yesterday, like this isn't the end, it's just a, the end of a chapter, yeah,
0: you know? Yeah, like, yeah and that's absolutely right.
1: But I do think that the thing that is going to be the hardest, and we can get into this a little bit more on our tour recap, which is again, coming out tomorrow the music never stops and it's never going to like, we're going to be able to listen to live Grateful Dead music for as long as we live. I have no doubt about that. But what I question is whether we'll get to have these big meetups, you know, like I'm not sure that Grateful Dead music will ever be played in Oracle park again. For example, I don't know if there's ever going to be a shakedown of that magnitude again, because it takes a certain type of band to be able to sell a venue like that. And I think that it's, I don't know. Maybe they have something more planned that we just don't know about. Like, there's obviously been years of people calling for Billy Strings to take the Jerry/Slash/John Mayer role and kind of continue this thing. I don't think that Jeff has any desire to stop playing with these people, like he plays with Bob in the Wolf Brothers. O'Teal, I don't know. Mickey and Jay seem to be still interested in keeping it going, and Bob is going to play until he dies. So, right. Maybe it's as simple as taking Mayer out of the equation and adding someone else in and keeping it going, but I don't know. I'm not so so sure that that's what's going to happen next. And even if it were to, there's something special about the first band that you kind of click with. Um, so there's no denying that Like for me, it was Dead & Company, like The Grateful Dead obviously first, and then Dead & Company because they were the touring act that exists in our time. Yeah, I saw a funny post that someone on Reddit was like, "What band will you start following now that Dead and Company is gone?" And one guy said, "I'm going to tell you the same thing I told people in 1995. I wasn't looking for a band to follow around in the first place. This just happened." (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's like that notion that uh, you know the bus finds you and it will open its doors and welcome you on when the time's right. So don't force it. Just just find
1: right. And like that's kind of how I feel like. Like you can't deny that it's the end of an era. Um, and with all of that being said, cause I, I'm now starting to really step on what we're going to talk about in our next episode. Tell us about seven sixteen Sunday night by the Bay in San Francisco.
0: All right. Sunday night, nine fifteen ish on the East coast. Uh, they posted all over that. They were starting an hour earlier. So that would be six ish uh, Pacific time. You opined that that was because they might, they might drop in a third set and do three sets of of music. And really it was just so that they could play a few more songs and, and play a little longer. Um, there was two sets, but I mean, with three encores that we'll talk about um, a very, very mini third set there at the end. First, like before even talking about the music, one thing that this weekend had in particular was like unreal camera work because you were there Saturday and I don't know if you tuned in at all Friday, but like the camera work was not just like still cameras transitioning between musicians. There were like sweeping shots of the stadium and like moving from center field into the stage or moving from like behind Jay, wrapping around O'Teal to then see the front of the stage. Like they had a really impressive camera work going on that kind of make it made it feel like you were watching a documentary about the Grateful Dead while you were watching the music that's the wow. best way I can describe it like these these all like movie-esque shots uh, and then they would like pan out on McCovey Cove and you could see like the stadium lit up at night and set two. so shout out to whoever was in charge of the camera work for all these shows not just the last night
1: Yeah. That's really cool. We saw on Saturday. So they had like this, like a camera that was on a wire. They had like a, uh, yes. Yeah. It ran from like the top middle of the stage all the way up to the edge of the third deck. And it had two guys standing at the top of like kind of where the facade is. And you could see them like controlling the camera, moving in and out doing like these sweeping, you know, dolly moves, um, on the wire. And then we also saw drone cameras, behind the stage like over the cove so i'm sure that that's what they were using for those things but yeah th- that sounds really really cool did it show like the boats at all because on saturday night there were a ton of like sailboats that came and anchored up in the bay and were seemingly just like parked there listening to the music
0: yeah it would it would show like every so often it would show like the cove and you could tell that some people had there's it also looked like there was kind of a walkway by the area yeah and there were people like chilling out on the walkway and then yeah there would be boats in the water too cool um, the other thing visually that struck me the most was O'Teal's face paint on night three. He had um, the Jerry hand on his his left side of his face, um, just a, a huge hand with the middle finger missing. And I thought that that was a really neat way to end which has been a very just intriguing side point all toward like, oh, what's O'Teal's face paint going to look like tonight? And then yeah. it was this awesome Jerry hand. So I thought that that was... Definitely worth mentioning because it was it made watching him even better. Yeah. Uh, which is tough to do because watching him is a good time.
1: Yeah, that is really cool.
0: Yeah. And if you want to hear some O'Teal, just check out the the Bertha opener from the last night, because they had him jacked way up in the mix. Like, and it was so great. He would like you could barely hear Bob because O'Teal was just like fucking all in your ear. Um, So set one, again, that came out at 915-ish on the East Coast. Bertha opener into Good Lovin' into an improv loser. And you could 100% tell it was improv watching the video. Um, We'll talk about that in a sec. And then High Time, Samson and Delilah. And then Althea, Dear Mr. Fantasy into Hey Jude. And then a bird song to end set one. For Bertha, like I said, O'Teal cranked up. They let Bobby sing half of Bertha, like instead of Mayor taking it, he and and Bobby traded verses. I thought that was interesting, Um, and I I don't know, I I thought Mayor sang the whole thing. I'm sure there are other versions where Bobby has contributed, but like the, it was it was noteworthy. I was like, oh wow, Bob is is singing this now. It this wasn't like a burn the place down Bertha, but it was flawless. Like if dead and company were to do a studio version of bertha it would sound like what they played uh, um it was every note was just well constructed and, and in its perfect place and then bam right into that transition into good Lovin'. and the camera shot on the transition was so great so they had it like oh panning and then it ended with a pan over mickey and on the last note of bertha he like hit the drum with his right hand and he doesn't use drumsticks. He's the, he uses those like red brushes. I guess you'd call them. He hits it, flips it, catches it so that he's holding the red brush side and the black stick side is hanging out and starts wailing on the cowbell for good loving. And it was such a cool, like just badass thing that Mickey Hart's busting out. And I'm so glad that they like camera panned over and showed that whole thing. That's sick. Made yeah, it made watching it so great. Um, Bob and Mickey stood out at the beginning, and then Kementi just took us all to church with an <laughs> awesome solo and in, in Good Lovin'. Yeah, as he's wont uh, to
1: do with that song.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was I think the coolest part about Good Lovin' is when it sounded like the song was coming to an end, and then Bob like kind of turned to Mayor and Camenti and was like, "No, no, like it's not over," and did the, like a circle motion. And then he, they kept going under while he did a whole, uh, you know, who needs it rap and, and the crowd really, really ate all all that up. And then I think Bob just kept up the improv spirit and he went into loser and you, you could tell that this was not planned because he walked around to each person on the stage, like holding up his finger, like his index finger. And then he leaned into Mary and he must've said like, go into loser or something. But yeah, he was walking around to the drummers and then mayor like, hang on, hang on. Like, don't, don't go into high time. Hang on. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's where the music took them. And and that's one of my favorite things in particular about this year is how they are going truly where the music carries them, not what's on the paper.
1: I wish it would have been cool if they did one show, just one show this tour where they didn't make a set list beforehand they just went kicked it old school and just started calling songs on stage. I know that it would have been hard and it would have taken some time and obviously a lot of like trust between the members, but it would have been really sweet if there was just one show where they were like, all right, let's open with Bertha and then just start calling them
0: boys. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that would have been, that would have been neat, but still neat to even see it once. Like you watch it and you're like, oh man, like he's still, Bob's still got that. The improv trickster spirit, even as he transitioned into from his seventies into his eighties, um, the high time because of what Zach Cropper told us in our nineteen seventy three episode, where he kind of laid out that theory of like the rhythm versus the melody, and how it's kind of like on a circle. And it, he was talking about Boxer Rain with like Phil singing Boxer Rain and how that is difficult. It just made me appreciate O'Teal singing this even more. So it's like, man, if that theory is true, and, and I, I believe it, I do think it is true. It's like, man, if that theory is true, like what O'Teal's doing here just is even more impressive. It sounds even even better. Um, just and a really powerful high time. I mean, O'Teal really crushed it and and it was it was a good like return to form from the improv of loser. And then Samson and Delilah, something that they've done this whole tour is they're like not playing instruments for, for the first verse. Like the drums are pounding and that's it. And then this like extended where there were no instruments in the first chorus either. It's just really kind of jarring because like you're ready for that like kind of bluesy guitar to roar in and it didn't. And then it was like a little clunky when the music came back in. But um, once they got once they got it going, um, it's hard with like what you talked about like he, as they're checking songs off it's like well that's the last high time that's the last samson so it it's hard not to get caught up in that but i mean this was like this was an all-timer of a version even with it being a little clunky in the beginning the ending was was really really hot speaking of really hot um althea man this when you are ready, when you are out of denial and you go and listen to the show, just the Althea, like it started out kind of normal. And then Mare just burnt down the place with his final Althea solo.
1: This place is getting just, hot.
0: It it got so hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, And he, I mean, he had a little flavor too. When, um, when Bob then did a solo after Mare and Mare was doing some cool, like, slides as he was he was playing the rhythm for bob um this was not as bob forward as an althea as we saw in atlanta which was i think the most bob forward althea of all time but um he let bob get after it with a solo but he was just doing cool stuff underneath after he did such cool stuff above um so this is where the stream kind of went in and out for i mean i'm sure people know by now but nuggs really fucked up and dropped the ball with how many people were tuning in for the last show. So because of that, Nugs wasn't up and wasn't able. I I don't know this, but it, it seemed like Nugs was not able to even control on their end, the cutoff on the like YouTube set one preview. So I'm just watching all this on YouTube for free. And it was, it was excellent. But Mr. Fantasy. Hey Jude is where I think they got their act together. Um, Cause I, that's where I started to go in and out. Um, so i don't have good notes on those um, and then a bird song to end it that got really spacey as i was able to get back in um other than the samson what i thought was kind of neat about this first set as a whole is that it was all paying tribute to those who passed like bertha was a jerry song good lovin pig song um then other jerry songs and then dear mr fantasy a brent song so other than the Samson. Which has been Bob's the whole time. It was all songs by those who had passed, and I thought that that was interesting to know. Um, set two began
1: real quick before before we go into set two. A couple of notes that I picked up about um, about set one. So the most played openers of this of this tour, because we now have that complete. Bertha moved into sole possession of second place. Um, behind "Let the Good Times Roll," that was the fourth show they've opened with "Birth" of this tour, uh, and the most played set one closers of uh, this tour, "Birdsong" now tied for third. This was the second, only I guess only the second time they've closed uh, the first set with "Birdsong." I feel like a lot of shows they had "Birdsong" as the second to last song,
0: the penultimate. Like yeah, Song into and then can I guess "Don't Ease Me In"? I think probably shot up.
1: Yep, "Don't Ease" is number one. They played six uh, set one "Don't Ease" closers. Um, and then the most played set two openers of the tour, it was a tie between Sugary and the song that they opened set two with on this night, last night, which was?
0: Yes, a Help Slip Frank Sweet, Help on the Way, Slip Not Franklin's Tower, and then Estimated Profit into Eyes of the World, then Drums and Space into Days Between, Cumberland Blues into Sugar Magnolia to close set two, and then a triple encore of truck in into broke down palace and then the not fade away conclusion they started night one with playing about two-thirds of not fade away and then they ended their whole three-night run here with not fade away so i made it until drums in space i i don't have notes for the days between through the not fade away um but i mean you know me franklin's tower is my favorite grateful dead song and i've been fortunate to catch help slip frank twice this tour once in charlotte once at Spac. and so i just sat back and relaxed and enjoyed the show when it when it came out for the opening suite here um the estimated profit was a little a little slow like it it did not sound like a 2023 estimated um but the eyes of the world man this is gotta be the highlight of this show um yeah, the two highlights I think would be the solo in Althea, and then this entire Eyes of the World just absolutely burned the place down for over 15 minutes. Wow. There was a point where like John went insane on the guitar, <laughs> and then every other member of the band was like, All right, if he's gonna do that, I better do this. And then like Kimenti go nuts. And O'Teal was doing something wild. I was like, ah, I can't. <laughs> My face is truly getting melted <laughs> off here. Um, the light show was great. Like at that point it was, it was like the sun went, was setting. And so it, it was, it was, yeah. Um, that eyes, of the world man was, and that's the last song I caught before I fell asleep. So I'm, I'm happy that that was uh, the, the last one that I saw. Cause that was, just a ripper for um, what I have written down is intense back and forth between John and Kamenti for about 87 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I just no words, man. And it's been like this all tour. like they have just murdered eyes of the world every time they yeah. play it.
1: Yeah, they really have.
0: I, I just want to get, I didn't get to listen to it, but I want to hear your thoughts on the truckin broke down, not fade away, triple encore that they busted out.
1: I think it's beautiful. I mean, even going back, I love days between coming out of drums and space. I thought that that's what they might do um, the night that I was there. I thought it would just be so fitting, but it's even more fitting on the last night. Um, yeah, I
0: thought I thought that they would play "Standing on the Moon," which they played night one. Yeah. I thought they would play that night three, so I mm-hmm. thought this was going to be one of the other two.
1: Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. Really poignant song at this point in time, so I'm really glad that they did that cumberland they've been playing so well all tour i'd love to see that on the set list uh, and then sugar mag that's like the perfect closer obviously yeah. you know it's like oh yeah duh that makes so much sense so i'm glad that they did that and then Truckin' broke down not fade away you get three different tastes trucking you get everyone to sing and cheer for what a long strange trip it's been perfect yeah. broke down palace to me the most emotional dead song Um, like if they, if their goal was to make people cry, I guarantee you they accomplished it with that song. (laughs) So you got that, uh, and they get to bid fare thee well to everyone and say, I love you more than words can tell. That's beautiful. And then not fade away even more. Like add that sweetness on top of the bitter that came before it. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Now the fans get to give it back to them and cheer. No, I will not fade away to the band. You get both sides of the coin. It's just perfect. Uh, I really I almost texted you, Dave, when we were going to pick for estimated profits last night and said we should both pick what they're going to close with. But then it was like, it's so obviously going to be not fade away that it's not really worth (laughs) doing that. But even knowing that it was going to come from the moment they started Friday night with not fade away, it's was obvious to both you and I and probably everyone who's like tuned in that that's what's going to close the weekend, even with it being so telegraphed it didn't take away from, you know. Seeing it on the set list this morning, the joy that I had of like, hell yeah, that is how they should have ended it. It's perfect. So I think that that's really beautiful. I also think, you know, I, as you said at the beginning, I thought they were going to play three sets um, because they had an extra hour of time, but I think part of it was that the curfew, because it was a, a school night, quote unquote, uh, Sunday night was 1030 instead of 11. So uh, I saw gotcha. that they got done at 1034, still supersized encore, super sized set one. Um, so, you know, they made, they made use of the extra time that they had, but just, you know, well done hats off. I, again, just couldn't have picked a better three song set.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I think you've summed it up. Perfect. It's got every, every aspect of an emotional goodbye, um, from the emotions of broke down to the like fun, upbeat, you know, trucking, I'm um, going home They're in San Francisco Yep, and, what a long strange trip it's been and then how we close our shows here too with a little not fade away yeah that's um, true and since there there are no more shows there are no more estimated profits <laughs> to to play and guess um yeah sad anything days. else bef- before we we let them know like the like dead Co. did that our love will not fade away
1: uh One other thing, and then we're going to put in a special sample. We'll put in a sample of This Not Fade Away to send you guys home. Um, So that's what you'll be listening to on our way out. But just thank you for joining us throughout the summer. It's been a lot of fun um, for Dave and I to kind of couch tour or in-person tour, as the case may have been, depending on the show. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be a part of your tour experience because, you know... Uh, We know that that is not a responsibility that we take lightly. So thank you for uh, for letting us be a part of your summer. Any final note from you, Dave, before we sign off and then sign back on tomorrow for a tour recap episode?
0: A big thank you to About Half Past Dead, our our artist in in residence and our artist who was boots on the ground every stop of the tour. Thank you, Mike. This this doesn't happen without you designing the artwork too. So a huge thank you to him for. The time and effort that he put in as well.
1: And to our friend Long Strange Putt for connecting us with Mike to get us the art. You know, he's yes. the one who designed our original logo and he's the one who made that connection. So, uh, shout out to him. Shout out to everyone who was out on Shakedown throughout this tour, selling their wares and making the amazing and different creative art that we saw all tour. It definitely was a, a boon time for that uh, great Shakedown all tour. All right. On that note, Dave and I are going to say goodbye for now. We'll be back tomorrow with our tour recap. Um, But until then, know our love will not fade away.